Time for Rolling. Welcome to Time for Rolling Esports, the weekly podcast that brings you Vainglory Esports. From predictions to recaps and analysis, we present to you the best in professional Vainglory. Now, here's your hosts, Inglis and Krugsloth. It's Time for Rolling. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Time for Rolling Esports podcast. We are back for another week of Vanglory Talk. This week is like the week. I'm joining the Crude Sloth, my normal co-host. How's it going? It's going pretty good, man. Uh, if we are counting down the days until we get some uh, VPL action. VP, what was that? VPL. Oh, okay. okay. Did I, say, did it... I, I heard, almost heard an I. I'm like, no, we're not international yet, but... Uh... <laughs> um, we we are joined with a very special guest, um, Crude and I, in past podcasts. All the people that are listening now, we've obviously talked about him multiple times, whether it's reading his tweets or just about the team in general. Uh, you know, Viziox or Vizox or, you know, Crude and I went back and forth about what his real name is. But we're joined <laughs> with the analyst from Tribe, Viziox. Um, it, it is it's a pleasure to have you, man. How, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. Awesome, awesome. Why don't you just real quick give an introduction of yourself, kind of who you are, and just your your quick, short uh, story of how you got to where you are today, how you found Vainglory, and got your way into uh, the smart side of Vainglory. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm Viziox. I'm Tribe's lead analyst and assistant coach. Um, before I moved into Tribe, or before I joined Tribe, I was formerly an analyst for Gangstars, and that, and I was an analyst for Gangstars for almost two years. Um, originally joining the competitive scene um, in this no in January of 2016. So yeah, that was almost um, two years because I left Gangstars right before I don't know right after Challengers okay. and helped and helped Tribe for Worlds. So, yeah, I've been in the in the competitive scene for quite a while. Um, I got I originally got into Vainglory um, after hearing about it um, on the App Store, and to be completely frank, I honestly thought uh, a MOBA that was like played on a phone or like on a tablet would be kind of a joke. But when I tried it, I was like my all my expectations were shattered and I love the game. Um, and I think that kind of inspired me to go into analytics because I didn't want to just play the game. And um, I wanted to know more about it being a, because I was a very curious person and I still am. So I started doing things like calculating builds and stuff um, just for myself so I could use it to like rank up and whatnot. And then I guess that talent was nurtured um, in Gangstars, and now I'm kind of where I am now, I guess. So, question, personal question. Are you a high school student or are you in college? 
I'm still in high school. Okay, so are you just like really good at math and that's just something you enjoy doing and that's kind of how you've carried that skill over into video games and Vainglory specifically? Um, I guess, I guess you could say that, sure. I have, uh, I think being good at math is something that's very subjective. I don't think that there's really an objective way to measure that. Um, but I do like math. I have fun doing math contrary to what I think the stereotype of math is, which is something that's very boring. So yeah, I, I really enjoy math. Um, and I guess, like, I have, a, I have a background in competitive math, and that helped me um, with the mathematical side of analysis. And I guess that's, like, because of my background in math, um, when I was looking for things to do in Vainglory that, that's, that would, like, get me into the game more than just playing the game, I turned to who I was in real life, I guess, and, like, my math background took me here, I guess you could say. Right. Yeah. Well, before we get into like tribe and like a lot more stuff with tribe and what you're doing with tribe and into 2018, there's just a couple of questions I have specifically along with crude, just about an analyst, you know, being an analyst overall. Um, I have seen some things in like certain games, not just Vanglory. This thing about being like a draft analyst and then just another analyst that maybe deals with more numbers and damage output, best builds. Is there a big difference? And, you know, do you guys have like uh, the team members that someone just specifically deals with draft and just, you know, analyzing drafts and then someone else that maybe deals with more build pass? What's the best, you know, best way to get your damage out, that kind of stuff? Okay, so this is a good question. Um, yes, we... Um, at the moment, we do have more of our specialties. For example, um, our head coach, Hot Sauce, um, Hot Sauce UT, he mainly deals with um, player coaching, player psychology, um, and gameplay analytics, as well as um, my co-analyst, um, Pepe Tapia, who's formerly from C9. Uh, he also deals a lot with player psychology, um, and gameplay analytics, uh, macro and micro in game, uh, scouting enemy teams, etc. Um, meanwhile, I mainly do um, like build optimization, rotation optimization, um, statistics on enemy picks, bands. I do some API work for that. Um, and obviously, I think what I'm most known for right now, I also do draft, and Pepe, Pepe Tapia helps me a lot with that. Um, so yeah, right now, we're kind of um, split roles. And it, it's actually really handy, because now that we're all specialized, um, we can work more efficiently and more effectively. Because back, at, back in Worlds, um, when it was just me and Hot Sauce, I was actually, like, I was tasked to do basically every single task that I just mentioned, and it was really ineffective, if that makes sense, because um, things were just so inefficient, and, like, the quality just isn't there when, um, when you're juggling so many things at the same time. Right. So what what would you say would be the biggest difference between 3v3 and 5v5 as far as like the analytics go? Like what have you noticed so far that you're like, well, this is completely different from 3v3? 
Um, I definitely think draft has changed a lot. Um, so I think that this is definitely going to go against what most people think, but I actually think that the draft in 5v5 actually became a lot more simpler, uh, or at least um, it, bas like, it became simpler as compared to what it was in 3v3 because now you're not, like, there's less theory behind it. There are many, um, there are many, like, there were many concepts, concepts in 3v3 such as flex, like, flex picking as your first pick or um, power or, like, banning power picks and stuff. And those still exist in 5v5. However, um, from what I've noticed, or at least um, NA meta is, like, draft is mainly just, picking your power picks or your comfort picks and then making them all share one win condition where countering matters less um, and taking away heroes matters less compared to what to compared to how much it mattered in 3v3 if that makes sense like yeah. it's it's less of a it's less of a chess game at, at this point and it's more of a of a game where you just pick the next best Thing if that makes sense, it's not it's not exactly like that, but it but I feel like it basically has less strategy going into it. Sure, there are more moves, but every move doesn't require the same amount of thinking power and whatnot as picks and bans did in theory three, at least in my opinion. So communication is really important within the team as they're playing. You know, everyone needs to be communicating. You know, how m important is it for communication to, between the team and, you know, the whole analyst team while drafting? Um, you know, if there's disagreements, I'm kind of curious, like, who trumps the final, like, who gets the final call or who makes that final decision if someone's kind of debating on, you know, who's that last flex pick or who's that last hero you guys want to pick up? Um. Okay, so... In game, when it comes to in game shot calls, I think the final the final would say would definitely have to go to Zio, and Zio can overrule whatever I say, whatever Hot Sauce says, whatever Pepe says, whatever any of our teammates say. I think Zio's um, shot call is the final shot call that we're all going to go through, like um, move on with. And but in terms of draft, uh, because I'm mainly in charge of our draft i would say it like the final say like who does all the who actually clicks um to ban and pick this hero that would come down to me but obviously in draft and in game everyone talks to one another everyone tries to be as communicative as possible so that no one um does something that everyone else disagrees with or at least we can or at least we have a, a bit a bit of time um, to try and see if we can compromise or sort things out before we, f we make our final decision. But otherwise, in the very end, um, it comes down to Dienzio in-game, and it comes down to me for draft, I'd say. Nice. Right, right. So how important is that relationship between, you know, an analyst and a player? I mean, is it, you, like... How how does that work in game though, or in draft necessarily? Okay, so in draft, um, the analyst and the player. Well, first of all, 
and I think that this is incredibly fundamental. The analyst has to understand what heroes their players can and cannot play, and what um, what the strengths and weaknesses of your team are. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, in NA, in the, in NACL, which happened on Friday, I gave Joseph CP Kestrel when he isn't really necessarily like the best CP Kestra player there is. And I took a huge gamble with that because CP Kestra is a major power pick, but I was putting it on a, on a player who isn't really known for playing CP Kestra. And we eventually lost that game. Um, I wouldn't say it was Joseph's fault. Um, I would say that the, the relationship between an analyst and a player is kind of shown there because at, at that moment, I was obviously they trusted, even though the, I knew Joseph couldn't, like, isn't the best CP Castro player, and he definitely has much stronger heroes that it would still be able to work out in draft. So I'd pick right. Castro regardless. Nice. <clears throat> so obviously, at the end of 2017, we were transitioning at 5v5. Uh, you're definitely behind the scenes. You've you were obviously aware of what was happening, but you know, as Cloud Nine was, you know, maybe coming over to Tribe, and you were picking these players up. Um, I mean, were you involved at all in that process? And you know, how was that transition? Adding those three more players, and not just three players, but three All Stars within themselves. And you know, how have they meshed within the team so far? Um, for the most part, I did not talk to Gabe Joseph or old school in trying to convince them to join tribe or anything like that. We did do some practice scrims together to see if we would mesh. And I think that those um, went well. So they eventually um, signed and joined tribe. But all in all, I don't like, I wasn't too involved in the process of contacting them. talking to them about Tribe and getting them to join. But I was um, I was spearheading our attempt to get Pepe Tapia, who is um, the Cloud9 mastermind, you, I guess you could say, at the 2017 Vanguard World Championship. So I did talk to him, and I, um, and I asked him like if he, if he was interested or like what his plans in 2018 were. We talked a little, and he eventually ended up um, joining Tribe. So uh, in terms of picking up um, players, I didn't really do too much. But in terms of picking up um, Cloud9's analyst, I contributed um, with that. And to answer your second question, how do they like synergize and, mess- and measure the team now? Um, I say that the chemistry isn't really there yet. Um, it, it's certainly building and it's definitely improving, but we still definitely need more time. Um, because, especially because Dienzio was shot, Dienzio and T-Tigers were mainly shot calling for Tribe um, when it was 3v3 and Gabe Vizzle was shot calling for Cloud9 when it, when, when it was 3v3. So now that Dienzio has taken the main position as shot caller, um, and Gabe is, is moved to a lane position, things are still settling. And hopefully, we can get everything 
sorted out by v, the, by VPL, which is actually in a week. So yeah, yeah. So I mean, we're kind of aware that players are scrimming, you know, four to eight or just whatever time it may be every night. You know, players are always scrimming. I mean, you have your own group, Hot Sauce, you Pepe. I mean, are you guys present every scrim, or do you guys kind of have your own meetings throughout the week? I mean, I'm sure your team, you know, of analysts are putting in just as much work. Uh, to try to assist the players as much as possible during these last couple months of practicing and scrimming. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, Hot Sauce, Pepe, and I try to make it to every scrim we possibly can make it to. Obviously, there are, like, schedule con um, like conflicts with uh, real-life scheduling and scrims. Sometimes I can't make it sometimes. Pepe can't make it, sometimes Hot Sauce can't make it, sometimes even our players can't make it, and we have to sub either um, Zelsia or T-Tigers. Um, but for the most part, we all try, like our starting lineup and all three um, support staff uh, try to make it on time and try to be there for every scrim. Um, and as for whether Hot Sauce, Pepe, and I have our own meetings, um, yes, we do. Actually, that was why I needed a little more time before we started this podcast. We was, I was talking with them about our NACL game, which we dropped to Child's Play. We're not, like, even though um, we have our own separate meetings, I wouldn't say we're too split from um, our players. Like, we have a pretty closely knit relationship with our players, especially because we're there every single, every single scrim. But it's not like you guys are like, all right, we have a meeting for these two hours without the team, and then we all meet together as a team. It's not like completely separate for the most part. You guys are always all working together. For the most part, yeah. But like sometimes, um, like I said, like I don't think there are really any player-only meetings unless they go and rank or whatever, but that isn't really a player meeting. If anything, um, if we ever meet, it's either just the support staff, like um, for like a, a special type of VOD review session that we need to do before consulting the players. Um, but otherwise, it's mainly either um, Hazas, Pepe, and I together um, doing analyst work or the entire team together in scrims. Right. So, so how crucial do you think it will be for other Vanguard teams to start having these teams of analysts and like helping players like what you, what you guys have? I mean, other than you guys and uh, like TSM, maybe Nova, like we think a lot of these teams, which we haven't heard yet, who's all going to be in there, you know, if they actually have orgs back them and whatnot. So how much of an advantage do you think that'll be for you guys? Um, I do think that we definitely have um, an edge on other teams. I, well, no, I actually I wouldn't say that. I would say that any team that has support staff definitely has an edge over any other team that doesn't have support staff. And I think mm -hmm. that this has proven itself time and time again. For example, if you look at 2017 Spring Unified Live Championship, 2017 Summer Unified Live Championship, 2017 Vanguard World Championship, etc. Every single team like the, the the teams that won those three events all were backed by support staff. So I think that like that just proves like the the statistics of um how many times like 
having analysts or I guess you you could say a, a stronger analyst support um, structure um, like that it kind of prove has proven itself time and time again. Yeah, so I mean, let's look at 2018 then. Uh, right now, NACL has been going on, so we were lucky enough to have that child's play tribe match in week one. Um, I, you already talked about it a little bit, but there's anything else about that game specifically, you know, you guys did have, you know, some maybe VOD review over it, uh, right now, Child's Play is another big, you know, roster, there's a lot of great names on that roster, they're going to be really talented, of course, Tribe is just the one that people look at and say, oh, that's the OP roster, but you've always challenged and said this Child's Play roster is going to be really strong, so, you know, what are your worries, or, you know, what, what is the team really going to have to work on going into 2018 to, you know, keep that you know one two i'm just going to say first second spot until i know of all the other teams but in order for your team to you know get that first place spot over child's play slash tsm whoever they are um i think our first step is definitely to build the chemistry between the team like i said earlier and i think that that's definitely a fundamental that we have um that we have yet to to fully master, which is kind of embarrassing actually, because we've been a team for a little over a month now. So the fact that that, that hasn't even been, the chemistry hasn't been um, fully fully made yet, um, it's kind, of, is kind of worrying, but I definitely think that we can make the, the chemistry between the players work with time um, and, that's actually one of Hot Sauce um, Pe and Pepe's main focus um, as like player psychologists and um, as um, gameplay analysts to try and see where our faults, like yeah, where our faults are um, as a team and how we can um, better mesh the team together. Otherwise, apart from building up synergy, I also think that with more work macro-wise because a lot of our team, um, like a, a lot of our team is very skilled in terms of micro. We have Gabe Vizzo, who is arguably the most mechanically skilled player in the world. Um, that can be obviously debated, but he, he's very, very mechanically skilled. We have Dienzio. Um, I think the name speaks for itself. Old school, I love Joseph. Max Green, like all these names, when you think of them, you think of high mechanics, high macro. These guys can execute. Um, these guys like can execute almost every champion's hardest combos, if or hardest um, chain um, CC or whatever or whatever. Um, Right. You need to execute on any champion. So we definitely have that down. However, as 5e5 transitions, um, no, as like as 5e5 emerges from 3v3, we get more of a of a macro game over a micro game. So these mechanics that previously dominated dominated 3v3, they don't matter as much anymore. And I think that that's something that's hurting us a lot, actually. Um, so while we have five great mechanically skilled players that can win their lane matchups, um, it's actually 
pretty bad because um, there's no macro to follow that up with. Um, and I think that actually going back to the NACL game again, I think that this problem was very, um, was very evident because Gabe Vizel won his lane as a top lane Koshka, which is a pick that we barely practiced um, against Rona. And it was big pauses, Rona. And his Rona is probably one of the best, if not the best, in North America. He won his lane. Um, so that just proves how good um, Gabe Vizel is uh, when it comes to microplay. Mm -hmm. But even though he won his lane, we never did anything with it across the map. Like, um, so when I was drafting our composition, we had Vox, Weapon Power Bottom, CP Jungle, Kestrel, CP Samuel Mid, uh, Rome Lyra, and top CP slash split push Kashka. And our main goal was to siege with this comp. And while we were able to win our lane matchups, I guess you could say, we never actually fulfilled our win condition and pushed our strengths, went for objectives, etc., which is where all the macro comes in. So, so the micro, which is winning lane matchups, that was successful. Our macro wasn't successful whatsoever. And we actually never got a turret until post 10 minutes when our comp position, when I was drafting, it was meant to take the first turret at five or six minutes. So that's also one of our biggest weaknesses right now that we're looking to improve upon. And I wouldn't even say that it's the players' fault because, I mean, the players themselves want every single one of their matchups through their mechanics. Stuff like this, even though it's in-game execution, I think actually lies fault with the analysts because we're the ones who are supposed to be helping them um, with their win conditions, um, with understanding how to play, um, how to play to win. And because they aren't fulfilling um, their win condition and reaching their full potential in the game, it's sort of uh, like the it's it's sort of fault it's it's sort of um my fault for that and Pepe's fault and Hot Sauce's fault because we're not helping them enough if that makes sense so I wouldn't right. even blame it on the players I would I put the blame more on um myself and Hot Sauce and Pepe. What is the current meta for the top lane with like the Storm Crown, you know, tanky hero in the top lane? Um, I guess it's kind of more focusing with Gabe since he's the top lane. Uh, is he comfortable with these types of heroes? Um, you know, what what's what's the situation with that? All right, so top lane. Um, yeah, I would say top lane is definitely um, a tanky hero. You can have it. Actually, top lane meta is really weird because you can play almost anything in top lane i would say like almost anything is viable but there are definitely some strong some some stronger picks um for nacl i gave gabe koshka because we needed something that can that could split push really well something that's mobile so koshka fulfilled all those requirements and we needed someone that could dice the last late game um mm. so koshka was my answer to all those requirements um but otherwise the main the main goal, I would say, in com for com for a competitive top laner in like scrims and whatnot, is to be able to split push and assist the team where like where needed. You're not really a 
a hard carry and you're not really um, uh, a main damage dealer or playmaker like mid and bot are, but you're more of this tanky hero that's meant to shut down the enemy um, bot laner because the bot laner is normally expected to win. And if the bot laner doesn't win their lane, then that's really bad for your team because they're going to be one of your carries in mid late game or even early game sometimes if you have Kessler or something in bot lane. But if you have a tanky, a tanky hero that can clear waves fast, that can trade equally with these high damage squishy bot laners, then you basically win top lane because winning top lane isn't actually beating the enemy bot laner. Winning top lane is going even with the enemy bot laner because if a bot laner is going even and not winning, they're basically losing bot lane. Right. Right. I mean, it's the top lane meta has just been obviously just following along with NACL. There's a lot of things that have been played. I saw someone play Tony with Aftershock and Stormground. So it was like definitely just a random tanky, you know, a hero, but it, it still worked. Um, another question that's more of just me wanting to know out of curiosity when like the whole cam system was, you know, put out for vision and then you could upgrade your cams and everyone was kind of talking about how this was going to be a huge, important part. I feel like a lot of the top players you know the captains aren't necessarily focusing on upgrading the cams right away i'm still seeing the fountains crucibles war treads those seem to be more important than upgrading vision do you think we're gonna see you know more importance on some vision or do you believe the vision's important i believe you do play some league of legends so obviously wards are a really big thing there so i just didn't really know if you want to briefly talk about vision and you know how important it's going to be heading into uh the 2018 vpl um, I definitely think vision is incredibly important in 5v5, and it's definitely something that we take for granted as a team. Um, against, um, like I said, okay, I'm going to use the NACL example a lot. Okay, so in, in our most recent NACL game, we got um, caught out multiple times, or we made really bad mistakes um, because of not knowing where um, the players of Child's Play were on the map at that time. Like the information wasn't there because the vision wasn't there and we were punished for it. Um, for example, when old school rotated towards their, like if you, if you rewatch the game, old school rotated to their crystal buff right. um, at its second spawn uh, at like, what, four minutes, three minutes, like yeah. around that time. He found and best he got, truck. <laughs> yep, he got caught out and he got killed because we did not have any information on when the um, wh on where the enemy team was, and he still took the risk, went for it, and then paid for it. And I, I think that essentially lost us the game right there because we needed to win early game, and getting caught out like that, um, and giving TSM that kill or child's play, I should say, that kill was really bad for us. And that problem would be corrected if we just had vision in that area. So I definitely think that vision is something that is definitely going to come to the attention of NA meta um, as more and more people realize how important it is. Um, right now, yeah, I, I would say that vision right now, um, at least for us, and at least from what I can see from other teams, hasn't been prioritized too much, but I think teams will learn from it. Um, I think we definitely have, after our NACL game, that vision is very important. And I think, um, I think, Fountain is definitely a good item, but um, the the scout master or 
I forgot the exact name of it, is, is going to become a very crucial item as well as vision becomes more important. One of the reasons why I think that many teams don't really prioritize vision right now is because of the three, 3v3 mentality still lingering around because in 3v3, um, people, like while vision was very important, people knew exactly when camps were spawning and whatnot, like for worlds um, with T-Tigers still as their jungler. Um, he didn't really need max screen to place too much vision in the enemy jungle or whatnot. T-Tigers just knew exactly when every single camp would spawn. And that helped us a lot because obviously vision costs money and without vision, ma uh, max screen could get items sooner. And I think many teams adopted this type of process how like people just memorized the spawn timers and rotated according to us, almost like a sixth sense of when, um, of when camps would spawn and whatnot. So this t sort of mentality, I think, definitely carried on to 5v5. And teams like us in NACL um, are paying for it, or will pay for it, for having the 3v3 mentality that vision isn't too important. When 5v5 is a completely different game. All right, so I said this was my last question about just analyst things, but every time you talk, I think of a new one. So this is my last one, then we'll talk about VPL, I promise. But you mentioned something about NA region, so I'm just curious, as Tribe, as an analyst team, I know we haven't even started VPL, but when does a team start looking towards other region metas, working towards that end goal of worlds, and just starting to pay attention to what other regions are doing, what's really strong in other regions? I mean, are you doing that constantly when you just see a match posted from that, you know, that EA region or E, you know, obviously EU is a little easier to keep track of, but just maybe more of those other regions that are harder to keep track of. Do you pay attention to it personally? Um, personally, that's not really my, um, where my scale is at um, in terms of our analyst team. I would definitely say that that's more of something that Pepe Tapia would do um, and would look into. So I am pretty sure that he is looking into other teams. Um, he constantly studies um, other teams and scouts for their like strengths, their weaknesses, etc. And I think that he's looking to other regions as well. Right now, obviously, it's not as important. Um, and I think that we definitely have to worry about more important things, such as like fixing the fundamentals, like our chemistry isn't there, our macro isn't there. So th those things are definitely more important um, as of right now. But um, it's definitely something that um, we do, especially when an international event rolls around. Um, for example, during the 2017 Vinger World Championship, I um, I studied SEA meta and I studied EA meta to try and figure out um, what these two regions would potentially bring out wh and what they thought um, countered what. And it actually helped quite a bit. Like. Um, through studying SCA, I learned that they thought Baron countered Vox, and Z and Vienzio at that moment completely disagreed. But then I made him try it, and he actually agreed with SCA meta, and he agreed that Baron was actually um, a counter, or at least a hero that could go equal with, with Vox. So that was that that opened up another pick for Vienzio's hero pool. Um, so I definitely think that studying other regions is valuable. Is it something that I'm doing right now? Um, no, because it's not really um, my specialty, and it's, it's more Pepitapia's specialty, as I already mentioned. But overall, 
at this stage because VPL, like, like you said, VPL hasn't even started yet. Um, it's not that important, and we should be worrying more about um, our fundamentals because that's obviously a huge priority. If we can't win our own region, then why, like, why are we worrying about other regions if right. we can't even make it to an international stage? Right. So you know. VPL does start this week, and we have preseason at least, not the full season, but we, we at least get some vainglory. What are you looking forward to most for this uh, VPL uh, league and just maybe vainglory in general in 2018? What are you looking forward to? Um, I'm interested to see like where the game goes um, because I think that 5 5 is definitely a fresh start. It's almost as if it's a brand... It's almost as if like the game is... Um, reborn almost like right with with all the orgs leaving um and whatnot it's kind of like the game restarted from where it was um before and it's it's gonna go again back into what it was at the end of 3v3 with all these tier one orgs so um i'm a excited to see how the game will grow and how things will carry on from here on out and b i'm excited to see what other organizations will either return or enter Vainglory due to um, how everything is restarting. Like I said, like it was is really cool watching um, teams like SK, um, SKG2, TSM, C9, etc. enter the scene um, in 2016 and 2017, and I think that that exact same thing is going to happen in 2018 except with different teams or maybe even the same teams returning um i'm curious like as to what's going to happen what teams are are going to come into vainglory and yeah right so do you have any personal goals for you know for 2018 here with you know with the team what are your personal goals um i definitely want us to take um a second world championship uh, I think uh, yeah. I think that's obviously the goal of probably every single every single team. Otherwise, like, why would you be competing if you don't want to win? Like, I don't know. I I guess I I guess people compete for fun, but I don't really. I don't know. I I guess I'm a competitive person. So yeah, I think I'm definitely my eyes are definitely set on World 2018, and um, I want like I want Zio and uh, Max take their second world championship yeah um that is definitely the end goal but obviously we have a long way to go especially um since we're like i wouldn't even consider us the best team in north america right now so yeah we have we have um quite some way like quite um quite some ways to go is that the expression i'm not yeah, sure yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. um i i know you can't you probably do know a lot about who you guys are playing, who the team, what the teams are looking like. Maybe you don't. Not quite sure. Obviously, just being a normal content creator, we kind of just sit on the outside and wait for announcements. But with the information you do have going into the VPL preseason, I mean, we've kind of talked about in the past podcasts where towards the end of 2017, autumn, you know, we saw we saw Rogue, we saw Nova, Tribe, or you know, uh, TSM and Cloud9. Everyone was kind of competing on a pretty you know, competitive level. Everyone was pretty close to each other. Crude and I have talked about how we don't really want to go back to this like it was before. Where it was always Cloud9 winning, always TSF, TSM winning. We don't really want it to be always Tribe, always Child's Play, or whoever it may be. Do you think in the beginning of the VPL, you know, we may see this time of only a few teams dominating? 
Um, for the beginning of VPL, if assuming that like tribe like we can't get our stuff together, I definitely think that it's going to be a child's play monopoly, at least for maybe the first few weeks until teams actually start um teams actually start building like the fundamentals. Um like right now I would say the only no, actually I think misfits or ex misfits now to rehab and child's play are the only two real NA teams that actually sort of have chemistry with one another, like with the teammates on their own respective teams. I think that those two teams are definitely the only teams that um, actually have a good foundation as in terms of fundamentals. Um, but other, but otherwise, like my prediction is that the top three is going to consistently be Tilt Rehab, aka Misfits, Child's Play, and um, and Tribe. Maybe Iraqi's team as well, which I think they're going to be in VPL, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think they're going to be in VPL, so I also think that they might um, contest like the top three um, standing or the top three. Uh, what is it? The top three like threshold, I guess you could say, in mm-hmm. NA. But I'm, but yeah. Overall, with how things are right now, like if every single um, VPL team or every single team that I think is going to be in VPL were to compete right now in VPL and not improve whatsoever and not get worse whatsoever, I think it's definitely going to be a child's play monopoly for now. Uh, I, you're probably going to hate me for asking this because you're going to want to like explain it in a million <laughs> different ways. Um, but okay, so let's say you're in a game and your team has one objective to take, either Black Claw or Ghost Wing. There's probably different situations for them, but if you're going to take one of them, which one would you pick? Okay, so yeah, this is definitely a very situational question. Um, it depends on on how the map is looking. For example. Um, if you've already pushed the mid lane really hard, um, I would go for Black Cloud, obviously, because then you could just make a straight, um, a straight um, dash. I'm not, I'm not sure what the word is. Like a straight beeline for the enemy vein crystal right. and win the game like that, and and then just push to end the game or at least take an inhibitor or whatnot. Um, so that's one situation. The other situation is like. If you really need pushing power and you want to, and you think that it's better to take Black Claw because you need to siege an in an inhibit, uh, not inhibit, uh, an armory or something like that, then I think that would be a good time for Black Claw. And this is and this is mainly seen late game. So, um, so Black Claw, if like in a nutshell, I would explain it as more of a late game objective. Um, Ghost Wing is kind of like gold mine, but also gives you a buff. So, and I think that this is more of an early mid game objective to keep snowballing and keep building a lead where you can, and especially with the buff, um, you can keep um, looking for fights and winning fights and like um, basically snowballing the enemy team harder and harder. Um, so, again, in a nutshell, I would say that. Ghosting is more for early mid game, and Black Claw is more for late game. When you're looking for 
um, map objectives, um, especially armories or turrets. Sweet. Hopefully all these... Uh... I'm going to try to take all your information and Manchu will become a great player. I know it's not going to work, but uh, there's, there's a lot of things, you know, that I still don't know about 5v5. So it's nice to not only just watch the pros do it, but hear from uh, the people that are planning all the, the things and what makes sense the most. Looking for, or looking to the end here, like if anyone who's listening wants to get into analytics or anything like that, what kind of advice would you give them? I mean, where, where would you even start at with this? And if, if someone wanted to get into analytics, all right, so this is um, a very interesting question. I think it, close hit, it hits close to home for me because I was actually wondering the same thing. And, um, and, and at this time, analytics wasn't really a thing. So now that it's definitely more um, cemented into esports culture and vainglory, I would definitely say that if you're going into either competitive or community analytics, actually, what I would start doing is I would start doing... Um, random analysis projects like if like um maybe you could calculate um the best level one invading see invading weapon power buff rotation or um or maybe you could do a vod review and dissect the tactics of tribe tsm something like that um and publish it to youtube i think flash flash actually does this with tribe i think that those like putting yourself out there, putting your work out there, putting your like analytics out there and what you can do is definitely um, a good first step. And actually, if anyone wants to do that and wants like more exposure, you could like um, anyone who's listening to this, you could just ask me and I could retweet it for you. Um, but yeah, I would definitely say that if anyone wants to get into analytics, you should try to put yourself out there, especially on Twitter. But there's also a large community on Reddit um, and on the forum, on the unofficial forum. I'm not sure. But yeah, I'm pretty sure that there's a large community there as well. And um, that would be a good place to, to start and get exposure like that. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I'm sure there's not that big of an analyst community within Vainglory, right? I mean, it's still relatively small. There's not that many of you. So... Definitely, if anyone wants to be involved and maybe you just don't want to be that full-time competitive player, maybe you could look at becoming a support staff. So doing other things like that and don't be afraid to reach out for sure. But uh, you know what? I think that's a great, great episode. Uh, I think everyone appreciates what you guys do, what the analyst team does. I'm sure the players all appreciate it and kind of the unsung heroes doing all this crazy work behind the scenes, doing all this stuff for the teams. I can't wait for Tribe in 2018. I can't wait yes. for just VPL in general. And I hope that, uh, you know, Tribe obviously still, you know, early together. I hope all the, the players, you know, the synergy starts coming together and the team starts looking looking up. But, uh, you know, Viz, I really appreciate you coming on. Hopefully we can do this again in the future. Good luck this weekend. Good luck in 2018. And uh, I hope we get to uh, see, you know, maybe Tribe raise that trophy at the end of 2018 again. Hopefully, and thank you for having me. 
Thanks for tuning in to Time for Rolling. If you liked what you heard, please leave a review on iTunes or Google Play Music and subscribe for weekly episodes. Follow us on Twitter at Time for Rolling and at TFR underscore esports. Until next week for another edition of Time for Rolling.